What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. Today on the show, I want to welcome Todd, Todd Waits. Todd, how are you today? I'm great, Cam. Thank you so much. How are you? Oh, man, it's fantastic today. You know, I have in my notes here, RMPT, cancer survivor, been an executive musician, motivational speaker. I want to hear about the speaking because speaking and that business acumen is just so critically important in our industry. We don't put enough value in it as accessibility professionals either. We put a lot of weight on, like I was talking a bit earlier, on the guidelines and the technical pieces of it. But then going and doing stuff like speaking to a, to a leader, what do you talk about when you do uh, speeches or, or when you're brought in to, uh, uh, to talk in front of a crowd? Yeah, thank you for that. So speaking has has a, a few aspects. A, a lot of what I do is anti-bullying in schools. Mm. And a lot of that is that that everybody matters, that everybody should and could chase dreams. I've, I've chased some crazy dreams that nobody believed in me. And, and I, a lot of times, had, had to kind of figure it out myself. But at a, at a corporation, it's that same message, meaning everybody matters, and that regardless of, of your position, regardless of what you do, regardless of any kind of quote-unquote disability, that everybody has a place and everybody should and could chase their dreams. And, and I look at it a lot as a song, and what I'll do um, in corporate America is at the end, I'll take the song, Don't Stop Believing, Nobody Knows That It's That Song Yet. And I'll ask somebody what their role at the, the organization is, and, and you see the people that sheepishly say what they do because they don't think it matters. Right. And I'll say, all right, well, well, tell me an instrument. And they'll say drums and I'll record. I, I bring a keyboard, I play, and I'll record a couple bars of drums and I'll ask somebody else. And some people are very proud of what they do as they should be. And I'll say, well, your guitar. Well, at the end of that, I have built the song, Don't Stop Believing. And I say, if I take any one of those parts out, it's not the same song. Yeah. And when people start start to get it. So everything that people does do matter. And then I also want people to understand the experience of somebody with a disability. Mm-hmm. Because I know early in my career, when I was told, we help people who are blind use the computer. And I remember thinking, you do what? You're, you're magic? How, how do you do that? And until I saw the experience then I was like, I'm all in. I, I just, I don't ever want to be in another business. So showing that experience is, is so amazing. What I really like about that is like, you know, we're using people's existing story, right? You're not, you're not changing, you're not telling them to like go and like do more, be more, which is, which is still important, right? There's a, there's a post that was floating around on, on LinkedIn recently. And it was talking about, you know, what are some things that anybody can do uh, no, it doesn't, don't cost any money. And the, you know, there's, there's like mixed beliefs around that. And what I really like about that is like, you're just telling people like wherever you are matters and wherever you are is valid and, and just kind of take it from there. And that's really cool. What I, what I say is wherever you are, be a rock star. Yeah. yeah because if it. you ask me, mom, I'm a rock star. I'm Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. but yes. But I mean, like you've, you've had to like put yourself out there. So what, what do you say when you, when I say like, put yourself out there, what's the first uh, thing that comes to mind? Put myself out there. So 
my wife will tell you I'm an annoying extrovert. When I walk into a room, my goal is to make that room a little bit better, not because of me or anything that I possess, but because, you know, I, I try to find the person that's the shyest in the room and have the biggest conversation with them because I want to hear, I want to hear people's stories. Mm -hmm. And that puts myself out there because then I can share, you know, my story, which isn't about me. It's about a boy with crazy dreams that cared about people that made something mm -hmm. happen. Putting myself out there also, people, when they first see me or when they see somebody with a disability, they define them by that disability. Mm -hmm. We define people by tragedy sometimes, right? We say, oh, that's a guy going through the divorce. That's that guy who's blind. That's that, that lady missing a leg. That's, you know, right, right. I don't want to be defined by that. And I don't want other people to be defined by past mistakes, by a disability, by, you know, use that stuff to help people, but don't let it define you. And so putting myself out there shows, look, I, this is me. It's obvious. You know, I don't know what you're struggling with. It may not be obvious, but let's, let's chat some things out in, in conversations. And then all of a sudden uh, doing that put me in the position where I am, where then I'm starting, I was asked to speak at things and I never set out to be inspirational. I just wanted to be a nice guy and the things just happened. And so what do you say? Like, I mean, this is disability pride month, right? So I think that there's, you know, a lot of people take their disability and are proud of their disability, proud because of their disability. Where do you kind of sit with that? I mean, I have an opinion on that, whereas a lot of us are locked in this kind of self-identity crisis at the moment a little bit. You know, a mm -hmm. lot of people right now, I see a lot in the mental health uh, industries and, and, and speaking in those areas where people say, like, I have ADHD and I'm proud to have ADHD. I think that there's there's of two minds. We should feel confident in our own bodies and we should feel accepted and, and like we should love ourselves, right? That's what it really all comes down to. We should love ourselves. But do you ever feel like, does that limit self-improvement? Does it, does it stop people from thinking beyond uh, their current limitations? Kind of where, where do you, where do you land on that? Yeah, that's interesting. Thanks, Cam, for, for asking that. I think there has to be a healthy mm. balance because when I first started getting into speaking and I, and I, I was like, you know what, I have to be that inspirational guy, but I still have bad days and I don't want people to know. Mm -hmm. I still have days that when I go to a store and there's kids in an aisle, I just don't feel today like being whispered mm -hmm. about and pointed at. And, but I didn't want to show that side of me. I had to become proud of who I was, but also understand that it's okay to have tough mm -hmm. days too. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we all have sad days and, and sometimes they're about our differences and sometimes they're about something else. Something else. It, it's okay to be sad about those mm -hmm. things, right? As long as we're moving forward. And it's so funny, um, my wife and I adopted a boy four years ago and, and he's 11 now. I showed him all the Rocky movies and we watched we watched Rocky 6, I guess it would be called. It's called Rocky Balboa. And at the end, he said, it's, it's not how hard you can hit. It's how hard you can get hit and keep going. Right. And he quotes that to me all of the time. And um, I think that's really important. And that's where that balance is. Mourn when you need to mourn, but keep moving. I'm big on the the idea that these are skills that, that we can learn. You said something in there where you talked about, like, you don't want to be an inspiration. And yet showing up every single day is part of that. I know as a business owner, I'm going to get told no a thousand times. I, I just knew it. Like I know. It. And you working in sales before, right? You've got to kind of just admit to that. That's a reality of what, of what it is to work in sales or own a business or be part of like, you know, like that type of role. And yet, like, if I can teach that skill, like if anyone can go and take a course on sales, I almost feel like we should be, we should be taking in a lot of that, we should be like assuming that that's part of what we do as well. So I think like those are skills that anyone can learn. So where would you, where would you guide people 
who either realize they have a disability or are coming up with a disability. You know, they just all of a sudden realize that this is a skill they need to work on and they're not feeling it. They feel like they're being uh, burnt down or, or, or ground down to the, to the bone just from, just from like living their day-to-day life. Where, where, do you, where do you help people like that? Just to clarify what you're asking. So somebody that might be stuck in a yeah. rut based on their current situation. Yeah, yeah. I say find something that you're passionate about and master it. I'm very lucky. You know, I work Crawford Tech. We're all passionate about document accessibility. Mm-hmm. So my personal life that I'm very passionate about goes into my professional life, which I'm very passionate about. I was very lucky because I started playing keyboards at four. So at a very young age, I was very passionate about music. I didn't know 10 years later, I would have to figure it out with with one arm, but um, it it drove my passion even more for a while there because nobody believed in me. I felt like I'm going to be in this. Mm -hmm. Why, why would I, who gets laughed at and pointed at no matter where I go, why would I want to be in front of crowds? Why would I think that I can do this? But my passion drove it and and it only took a couple of people to believe in me to believe in myself and the great thing is um, all of us can be that to somebody else so the people that feel like man this is just where i am today it's 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 temporary thing because a lot of it is is mental and i'm not saying it's not hard i'm not saying it wasn't hard for me i'm not saying it was right to go through the tough parts but um find that passion and let the passion drive Mm -hmm. you because it will drive you yeah who are those people to you when you said you had a few people who believed in you who, who are those people to you yeah, it's interesting. So I was on chemotherapy for 18 months. I had a music teacher that that at the time was, was very young. She was probably 23. And I did what all the cool kids did in high school. You know, I was in show choir and uh, I played I played in the band that played for the show choir. I lost my arm that year as in eighth grade. I, I started kind of backing away from the music thing. And it wasn't because I wasn't excited about it. It was because nobody else right. was. People would come to see me in the hospital and they'd bring me different different cards and flowers and gifts or whatever. And my music teacher showed up with a manila envelope with sheet music to the next batch of show choir songs. And she said, I don't know how to teach you how to play these songs with one arm, but I'm telling you, if you don't figure out, you're telling everybody they're right. And that will never, ever, ever leave me. Here is a, you know, I'm, I'm 55, I'll say. And, and here is this 23-year-old that instilled more knowledge and wisdom that grew in me more than I knew back then. But it really, that, that was the pivotal point to me. And I have very specific people who were mean to me that I use when I speak very real stories. And I say, I knew in that moment, I wanted to be more like mm-hmm. her than more like this guy. But that was the person in my life that I gravitated toward and say, just because people don't think I can do things doesn't mean that they're right. Because then it became a matter of proving myself. If I don't do this, it's going to prove them that they're right. I'm going to show them. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that a bit of... um. A bit of gumption, you could say, because we hold ourselves in comparison to, to other people. And that's just like, it's so human. It's so absolutely human to say, I'm comparing myself to that person and I'm not as good. And really, it's like, it, it's the only people we compare ourselves to really should be ourselves, right? Like, you know, what I was doing yesterday, what I was doing last week, I'm only comparing myself to that. It's so easy to look around and say, you know, I'm not doing as well as that person over there. And therefore, I'm going to, you know, I suck. <laughs> That's what our self-talk does. Yeah. Well, there are some days when I was, you know, I had to learn how to play the keyboard by myself with one. Mm-hmm. Hand. And there are some days that I didn't get any better. But those days I didn't give yeah. up. Right. And all I compare myself to is, is what did I do yesterday? And it's the same thing with sales. It's the same thing with my career. Did I, did I do something more today than I do yesterday? Did yesterday? Am I furthering the cause of accessibility more today than I did mm-hmm. yesterday? It ebbs and flows. 
Yeah. What do you do for, for both sides? Cause you know, piano music got two hands on there. What do you do? Do you put like a loop on, on, on one hand? Like how do you, what are the technical pieces? How do you do that? I never play live to any kind of pre-recorded music. So I have, I have a little studio yep. at home. I have eight keyboards. My, my wife says you have eight keyboards in one hand. And I said, well, look, you have two feet. Why don't we go count your shoes? <laughs> you know? So I have a studio. I record. I get some session work sometimes from from like Nashville and different different places. But um, live, I play just locally in a fun '80s tribute act. I, I'm not touring or, or traveling anymore, and um, I I've learned how to do everything with one one hand. And you know, I'm not a classical pianist, but I never set out to be to be yep. that. But I've learned to play everything live, and um, you know, technology really helps. Keyboards you can layer sounds so sounds sound a lot bigger than than the little part. Right, of course, yeah. There's just little tips and tricks, but um, I'm definitely alive. That's cool. That's cool. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. So now let's get into the nuts and bolts here because I like that every single advocate I've ever known needs to do sales at one point or another, even if they don't call it that. I think that's one of the big pain points in our industry. Nobody wants to do sales, and yet we all do sales, and so. Let's talk about getting in front of the right people. So you can take it this from whenever, however you want, either from your speaking or at Crawford or what, whatever you do. How are you getting in front of the right people to get the message across? Let's just start there very broad. Sure. And I'll, and I'll say something that might sound a little cheesy, but I really mean this. I say I don't sell anybody anything. I help people buy totally. things. Totally. Yeah. So um, sales is all about stories and, and accessibility is, is an amazing story. Accessibility isn't going away. In fact, I just said it said it the other day that people's glasses typically don't get thinner <laughs> every year. They, they get thicker and then, and the need becomes greater and greater. And so to get in front of the people, accessibility 15 years ago was so much different than it is totally. today. And it was, it's been such a pleasure to see that where 15 years ago, I was, I was picking up the phone and, and calling 50, 60 people a day, uh, emailing, you know, thousands of people a day with, with modern technology. And, most people didn't even know what accessibility was or what, what matters. And um, it, it's kind of like when I started in the industry and the whole, wait, somebody somebody with a visual impairment uses a computer. I think to this day, um, knowledge is power. I think educating people at various levels really matters. And that's UX people that on the legal side, that's compliance, that's design, it's it's everything in, included of that because, and, and the story speaks differently to, to every, every Absolutely. segment. So a different story for each and presenting that they may not even know what's a problem. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's dicey to show somebody their own warts. I always, I always call it right. Yeah. Like, you know, don't shoot the message. I, I just want to show you the experience that somebody with a screen reader, I'll use it as, as an example, goes through to view even their, their statements, their bills, but we have a solution mm -hmm. for that educating and then solutioning i think is so important you know i like what you said it also like so so hold on you said 50 to 60 per day so you got like 50 to 60 no's per day trying to get the message across like i, I just just want to quantify i want to oh, put yeah. a number to this right correct so i i love this because i i know a lot of professionals who even inside their own organization uh they're not getting that buy-in that they want to from that and so when i put in perspective what a salesperson would need to go through we're talking cold messages or cold calls. No's are part of what we do. No's are just part of the day-to-day -day tasks and day-to-day -day life of an accessibility professional as well. And I want to put this into perspective too, that even if you're a dev lead or a systems engineer or a marketing manager, we're going to get no's throughout, throughout our career. 
you said something as well there about talking about stories because storytelling is just such a crucial part. I talk a lot about the aha moment about origin stories in what I do when I teach my masterclass because that aha moment is is so valuable to be able to communicate to other people when when they're not understanding why this is important. You said it today when you talked about your your pizza story, right? Trying to open a door and a pizza fell on the floor and that was it. That is was your moment where you said, you know, wait a second. I want like, this is a barrier and this is a problem. I want to be more like the people who are kind than the people who are bullies. These are all little moments in our lives that if we can share, if we can get comfortable sharing to people, it can move mountains because it makes people realize their own biases. And I think that's probably the best way to say it. It shines the light internally to say, wow, I never thought of it like that before. And if it's easy for you, not easy, but if it was, if you were able to transform yourself and move from one state to the next, then I can do it too. No, I agree. And, um, you know, the choice was to never eat pizza again, or, you know, I remember people always ask me what was the hardest thing to learn with one arm. And I tell them it's not, it wasn't the big things. It was, it was the little things. I remember I put toothpaste on my toothbrush and the toothbrush would fall on the ground most of the time. So, but I had to brush my teeth because I like talking to people. So once you figure out how to, how to do it, you move on. And, and what I've learned is that there are people with, this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Cam, before you don't have to have a disability to be stuck. Mm-hmm. There are people that have have no disability that that are just stuck. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to figure out that next level and um, surround yourself with with people who are inspirational. So surround yourself with people that have have arrived to where you want to arrive. And and eventually, you know, if you you hang with skunks, you're, you know, you're going to smell like. But if you hang with 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 people that that you admire and you look up to, um, you'll get there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's okay. So what are your what are your tips and tricks about getting in front of the right people? Like where, where are you going when you need to get in front of some executive uh, for some company to, to help out with their PDFs or, or, or to speak like whatever you're going? Because I looked at some of your the companies that you've spoken to or in front of. Uh, I see UPS, I see Walgreens, AMC, and you've got lists of schools and churches and uh, you shared the stage with, uh, with Mitch album. Like there you've got, you've got some names on, on your list too. So how are you getting in front of those people? Like what, what's your, what's your process? Sure. Sure. And, and I'll say people aren't pounding on my door. I'm a very proactive, yeah. very proactive guy. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll relate it to the accessibility space. It's, it's a lot of uh, networking yep. is, is great. And you have to be real. You have to be real. Like, like Cam, you, you've networked me with some people. You wouldn't have done that if you didn't know that I really care about the industry. Right. right? right. You, you wouldn't have done that. And you have to be real. You have to develop relationships. Relationships are so expensive. The, the cold outreach has to yep. happen. Um, it, it, you know, exciting, exciting subject lines, showing that you are going to solve a problem, showing that you want to educate them on a problem and that you have a solution to it. And, and being willing, being willing to turn over rocks. I always say you have to cast the net wide and deep. And that has changed over time. There, there was a book that came out about 10 years ago that if you do a mass email, that you'll get 10% people reply. And back then that was pretty true. Good job. I'm laughing because no way are you getting 10% replies on cold email. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think you have to really know where you're different than everybody. And don't just assume that that's true. Go to others and say, why do you talk to me? And it, it may be not what you mm-hmm. think. And then start to go, you know, tell me why you would answer my email. Tell me why you would take my phone call. 
I'm assuming it's this. And, and oftentimes I'm wrong about what I assume. And somebody says, well, no, it was this. Mm -hmm, part. Mm -hmm. And you just have to keep reinventing yourself and again, turn over a lot of rocks to get to the right person. Yeah. I, I like that a lot, even internally inside of like large corporations. Like I, I'm thinking I've been, I've been working at banks. I've, I've done like IBM. I've, I've been done big stints at huge organizations. And sometimes internally, you got to use those same techniques that you just said, because sometimes you send a cold email to somebody in some other department who have, has no relation, but you need their help. You need their time. You need their advice. Like you need something from them. And some of these techniques are the, still this, uh, they're, they're, they're the same things creating interest, showing value, you know, respecting people's time. I, that's why whenever I was doing internal emails, I would always start with, I know your time is valuable. So let me just make this quick. This is what I need from you. Can we just jump on a call? Now, it's never quite as cold as, as like a stranger because you're inside the same organization. But some of the other rules still apply. If I saw on a marketing page an accessibility problem, I wouldn't just go and tell them all the, all the problems right away in email. I would say, would you like to learn more? Is Are you interested in hearing what I have to say? Most of the time when you approach it like that, you create curiosity. You demonstrate value. You show that you're willing to help and that you're not there just to shame them into compliance, right? Like you, you, you genuinely right. want, I genuinely want you to learn these things. So I don't need to go and chase after you. I got a lot more buy-in. I got a lot more pull. I got a lot more meetings. I did a lot more networking like that, uh, than just, um, than just sending off a, a random email, one random email. And usually it does take two or three times, right? To go, to book a meeting with the director Absolutely. above that can take three, four times, like to, straight up, like even inside organizations, like, you know, or maybe they're booking, they're pushing it off a month and a half away. And then they don't remember who you are when you message them the second time. That's just a reality of, uh, of, of, of doing this kind of networking work. Yeah. I say it has to marinate. Yeah, it has to marinate. It goes yeah, out, I love it. It goes it, it, you know, um, but Cam, I think what drives you to do that is your passion mm -hmm. for this, right? Like I, I think of my first job, I was a telemarketer for a lawn care company asking homeowners if they would take a lawn analysis to tell them how bad their lawn is. Right. And because I was a hard worker, I did well, but I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't care if their lawns look bad, right? So I'm so much more productive today because now I'm all about the passion of it. And, and that's why you're good at what you do because you're passionate about the cause and your personal life intersects with your professional. See, I think that all comes from that that, you know, where does the story come from? What's the root here? Are we trying to like how big is how big is the problem you're trying to solve too? And so I'm trying to solve a big problem. I'm that's kind of where this whole social justice thing came from. So, I mean, these are the kinds that you talked about passion and that's something that, you know, go find your passion and stuff. It's so hard sometimes when people are just pushed down to the lowest levels and just being told to ignore, just stay in your lane and stuff like that. And I can appreciate how hard that is for so many people uh, when, when you're being told no, no, no for, for your whole life, almost you could say, not your whole, your whole career maybe. And that's a really, really difficult thing to overcome. But absolutely, I, I agree with you. Finding that reason why inside and making it bigger than yourself is probably the uh, one of the most important things to, to remember. I think people don't realize they have a story and we all do. Sometimes they give me the microphone. That's the only difference. Yeah. And I didn't set out to be who I am. There was a lady who's a, who's a very successful public speaker and, and she wrote a book that I'm in. And one night, we were at dinner and she just asked me a bunch of questions and it was just casual. And then she did a speaking event a couple of weeks later and told my story through her mm -hmm. eyes. And it was exact. She didn't make anything up. And, and I didn't realize everything that she realized and strung it together that I said, I want to meet that guy. 
and um, and that changed everything. So I'm passionate about also helping people find their stories, mapping them out, starting to get in front of audiences. That's so cool. You know, what's that expression, right? We can't read the we can't read the label from inside the bottle. And I think that's what we kind of we all suffer from. So, that's fantastic. Uh, Todd, hey, we're just about at time now. Is there any closing thoughts? Where do you want people to walk away with? Uh, what are some takeaways that you want people to remember after this conversation? It sounds so corny when I say it, but I absolutely mean it, that, that everybody matters. Everybody can make impact. I speak to from little kids in, in third world countries to um, I've spoken in front of uh, Shania Twain's kids when they were in school, her, her son and people all over the map. They just want to be heard. They want to be liked. They want to know that they matter. And I know that everybody matters. Um, it's up to you to be heard. So I encourage people to go out there and be heard, be confident in that. Know that any past struggles, it, it doesn't mean that it's okay that you had to struggle through that. But I also feel uh, the right thing to do is use that to help other people. Otherwise, it happens all in vain. I like that a lot. Why is this so important to you? Because I find inspiration in other people. And if I don't hear their stories, I'm, I'm going to be in the same road as well. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you going to go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today, hi at cambodwayne.com, and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like and subscribe to this show, it really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.